welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. We want more of you. We ask that you would help us to decrease so that you could increase in our lives. Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit in this moment right now so we can hear from you, that we can learn from you. We can sit at your feet, Lord Jesus, and, and be conformed into your image. God, set a, set a fire within us right now so that we can uh, draw closer to you in this moment. We worship you. We thank you. We declare that you are good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. You can have your seats. Welcome. We are coming to the end, the close of our series on healthy changes, how the gospel makes us whole. Um, it's been an incredible series. Uh, it's, it's been great going through, you know, walk, walking through the content with city groups and just hearing about how God has been changing lives through just the reality of his truth of how grace plus truth plus time equals growth. Uh, last week we talked about the two developmental processes of bonding and boundaries and how these steps are, are so key. All of this coming from the uh, great book uh, from the Christian uh, author and counselor, Dr. Henry Cloud, Changes That Heal, another plug, pick it up if you uh, haven't already. And uh, so we're finishing this thing out and, 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 but one of the key components of this reality is that growth happens in the context of relationships. And already, that right there, that statement kind of tweaks us a little bit because don't, sometimes we just wish that we could just kind of grow by ourselves off someplace. We didn't need people. People can be messy. And by people, we have to include ourselves. <laughs> we can be messy. And so we don't want to be exposed to other people's messiness, and we dang sure don't want them exposed to ours. So we, 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 we wrestle with that thing. And so, uh, but, but the reality is that growth happens in the context of relationships. Um, so here's the last stage of that process. We decided to change up the font a little bit just to make it a little bit harder for you to follow. Um, but, but it's this aspect of becoming an adult. And it says that becoming an adult is the process of moving out of a one-up, one-down relationship and into a peer relationship with other adults. Now, this aspect of adulthood is kind of tricky in our culture because many, in other cultures, there's like rites of passage things that happen, bar mitzvahs, bar mitzvahs, some type of, you know, other rituals that kind of identify and declare to someone, you're a child, now you're an adult, but we don't have those. But what we do have a lot of, uh, we have a lot of Peter Pan syndrome. Y'all know, see, Peter Pan was the boy that never grew up. He wanted to stay in Never Never Land and have no responsibilities and just be able to have fun with the lost boys. And we got a lot of lost boys running around, not wanting to grow up. But the problem is, unlike Peter Pan, their age number is increasing to the, through the 20s, through the 30s, through the 40s but still responding in such a way that we have no responsibilities. We're the boys that never grew up. And it's not just the guys. 
<laughs> the reality is that all of us, you know, even the sisters among us, we have challenges with this aspect of adulthood and what does it mean? When does it start, right? We kind of have this idea, okay, when I'm 18, that's when I'm legal. Then we go to college and the reality is that, you know, for those of us that do, like that's not really the real world. You know what I mean? In many ways. So it's like, well, when does it, when does it happen? So we're going to talk a little bit about this. And, and one of the realities to this thing, make it a little harder. I feel like I'm in like the middle of an eye exam. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was like left eye, right? Can you still see that? So this is by faith. <laughs> but, but here's the reality, right? A major barrier to adulthood is the belief that people are either good or bad. You know, when, when we're younger, right, we have this tendency to see the world in black and white, you know, just kind of just simple. There's good guys and there's bad guys. And but then somewhere along the line, life gets a little bit more complicated than the cartoons that we watch or the, the toys that we play with or the wrestling that, you know, where it's like kind of easy to see. And we start to see even our heroes have some darkness in them. And even the villains have some light in them. It gets kind of confusing. But if we don't understand this process, then we can even get lost within ourselves. And so this aspect of understanding good from bad and the fact the reality is that we all have some of it in us is really key. Having some trouble here with moving it forward, if you can just kind of keep it moving. There we go. And Paul explains this in Romans chapter 7. He says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. You see what Paul is saying there? He's saying, look, there's this reality that I feel like there's two laws going on inside of my body. In the next verse, he kind of continues on and just says, you know, wretched man that I am, who, who will deliver me from this body of death? What is happening? What's, what is going on within me? And Paul is dealing with the reality of the fact that there is both good and bad in him. And, and, and this is an important developmental step because if we don't realize and come to grips with both of those sides in us, then we can either skew toward two different paths. We can either try to deny the bad in us, and then in which case we become you know, self-righteous narcissists, or we can deny any good in us, and in which case we become depressed, broken, and, and just isolated and alone. But either way, that's the result if we don't uh, get through this process. And Paul actually expresses in the next verse the solution to all of this. He says, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ who has delivered me, who has rescued me. You can go to that next slide, that next verse uh, where it communicates that. And then this is, this is the key point, right? And then in, in, in verse 8, I mean chapter 8, verse 1, he says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let that statement just wash over you for a second. He says, look, thanks be to God. I have this tension. I, I see that there's aspects of God's spirit in me, but then there's aspects of, of my brokenness and my sin, and, and I'm a wretched man, and what do I do with that? And then he says, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Because what Jesus did on the cross was he dealt with the bad. He, he, he became the bad for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. But even as we still, as, as he has accomplished that work and we are positionally righteous in him, we are still not experientially completely righteous. See, that's the good and the bad complete, completely. There's this aspect of sanctification in which God's spirit is continually doing his work in us to make us what we are to be. And that's good news because that means that he's not done with me yet. Through all of my brokenness, through all of my wrong, through all of the issues that I'm, I'm dealing with, he is not done with me yet. Turn to somebody next to you and say, he's not done with you yet. <laughs> he's not done with you yet. We're going to do some group therapy today because some of us need to know he's not done. Now, here's the reality. There's, there's this ideal self in it there's, there's versus this real self that we have. Now, we know the ideal self, right? The ideal self is that version of ourselves that we just kind of use to judge who we really are. Like, like that ideal self continually is a critic, and, and, and it's a, a judge to us, and it's just a reminder, almost like this voice in our head playing on repeat all of our greatest bloopers, right? Our not top ten lists. And, 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 and this is versus our real self, which is really who we are. Now, I remember coming to grips with this when I was in college. Uh, the first time I did this Myers-Briggs type assessment. Anybody ever do a Myers-Briggs type assessment test? And so I did this, right? And the first time I did it, I came out ENTJ, right? Now, ever since then, I've done it like three more times, I've been consistently ENFP. And what I realized was that when I did it in college, because I was in this leadership uh, like retreat weekend, I answered the questions based on who I thought I wanted to, I should be, right? So I thought I shouldn't be a feeler, you know, I should be a thinker. That that was a, a stronger posture to come out of. That I shouldn't be open-ended and kind of just, I, I needed to kind of be decisive. And so I tried to trick myself into thinking this is who I was. My ideal self was judging my real self. And, and we see this, you know, um, in this uh, incredible uh, documentary that came out a few years ago. And this uh, was really depicted very well. Um, and so... Here's the reality. This is what uh, Cloud says in, in the book. He says, to demand perfection will ruin our life. To let go of standards and ideals will get us killed. If we completely try to hold on to this aspect of this ideal self, we're just going to ruin our lives by demanding perfection. And, you know, when somebody says, man, that was a great job you did on here. And you're like, man, it was terrible. I actually wanted to do a whole lot better. And they're like, I'm trying to give you a compliment. Like, what's happening, right? We all experienced that before. We, it's like we can't accept it because the ideal self is judging us based on what we had in our head. But on the flip side, if we just grow, throw caution to the wind and act as if there are no standards, then we find ourselves in a, in, in a heap of trouble there as well. So this is this documentary that came out. Um, and it was about this man named Sherman Clunk. Now, Sherman had an issue, right? He was, he was very smart. He was, he was, he was an intellectual but he, he also did, he had this ideal self going on. And because in his mind, because of his size, because of his weight, because of his insecurities, he allowed people to talk to him any type of way. It, it stopped him from being able to pursue Miss Purdy, who, you know, 
And, and, and so he couldn't really take the step of getting into a relationship, even though she was feeling him. And, and it just kind of kept him into this box because his ideal self was causing him to think he was worth less. So as a result of that, he decides to come up with this concoction and, and you know, kind of dream up some way to get some liquid courage. And then he comes and turns into Buddy Love. Now, Buddy, he didn't have any confidence problems. Buddy was, you know, completely had all the swag in the world and did not care how his uh, behavior affected anyone around him. Buddy was for Buddy. See, see, Sherman's issue with being uh, and the ideal self was it, he was he was legalistic. And as a result of that, he was confined into his own bondage. Now, Buddy's issue was that he was licentious and he just did whatever he wanted. And there were no rules. And this is the war that we have within us when we're trying to go with this ideal versus real. And, and, and the trick is somewhere in between to kind of have this idea where we're accepting good and bad. And accepting the good and bad in us is embracing grace and truth. <laughs> accepting the good and bad within us is embracing grace and truth. That's the gospel. That's what Paul is dealing with. That's why he could say, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, because he can accept us. And because he, he accepts us as we are, but still makes us into what we are becoming, that means I can accept myself for who I am, even, even as I am becoming. And that's good news. Because it's like, hey, we're going to accept you as you are, but we're going to help you not stay where you are and get to someplace else. So growing as an adult means practicing forgiveness. Now, here's the challenging part, right? Because not only do we deal with this ideal self thing within, within ourselves internally, but we project that ideal self on other people. So I mentioned earlier that we oftentimes have these heroes that let us down, and, and many times those heroes are our parents. And, and we, you know, are just people that we look up to, coaches, and, and we put them on this ideal platform and then when they show a hint of weakness and fallenness like every human has then they're dead, dead to us and so all of a sudden this issue of forgiveness becomes this um this spot in time where we get frozen and, and our growth gets stunted because we were wounded by this ideal person that we thought they should be and now because we hold on to that unforgiveness we can't move forward and that sometimes is learned behavior. How adults responded to our messes shape how we respond to others. So, so we learn this from a very early age that it's like, okay, if I, if I broke the dishes by accident and I just kind of get scolded and yelled at and just kind of, you know, beat and, and just, just kind of mercilessly treat, and we think, okay, that's what, no mistakes. Can't make no mistakes. Got to be ideal. Anything less than that is just wrong and it's judgment. And we have to kind of unwork those aspects. Refusing to accept the good and bad in us leads to a cycle of sin. And here's how the cycle works. So we sin, right? We, we rebel. We fall short of God's glory. Then we feel unloved and we feel like, see, I knew I wasn't worth anything. My ideal self just keeps telling me that I, I'm, I'm just garbage. I'm trash. So now I have this sense of self-loathing. So now I seek relief from, I, I want to just dislocate from reality. I can't deal with the, the hardship of what I'm telling myself I am. So what do I do? Go and sin again. And the process just goes on repeat. 
That is the bondage. That's why Jesus said that who, he who sins is a slave to sin. When we have this perspective that we're trying to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and trying to be this ideal self, we'll eventually fail, we'll eventually fall, and then we'll continue into this spiral deeper and deeper into sin. But that is not, that doesn't have to be the story. And this is why in James 5.16, he says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Look at the condition. He says, hey, look, this is what you need to do. Because this is, when you confess sin to each other, you're entrusting the other person that you're sharing this with, with the reality. You're exposing the fact, I am not all good. I have bad in me. I have brokenness in me. And I'm, and I'm seeking help. And I'm just pleading that you would not just discard me like I want to discard myself. And there's healing in that. There's deliverance in that. But if we continue to hide and push that stuff aside and not tell anybody, well, we know where that goes. This is how Cloud puts it. He says, hiding those aspects of ourselves causes them to go into the darkness and take on a life of their own. I experienced this uh, a few years ago. Um, it was on staff in, uh, in Orlando. And um, just, you know, was doing ministry, and there was a, a young lady at the office and, you know, thought she was pretty attractive, but just kind of kept it moving. But then my mind just kind of kept going back to that person. And then I was like, man, this is crazy. We're in ministry. This is, I'm married. This is terrible. I got to. And it just, you know, for like a couple of days, turned in a week. So I had this meeting with this mentor. And uh, I had asked this guy. He was a pastor. And, you know, uh, at our church and I asked him to mentor me. Right. So our first meeting was coming up in our mentorship experience. And I'm thinking, I can't tell him this. Like he's going to be like, OK, this ends our mentorship experience right now. This is you're disqualified. But I, I was more scared of what would happen if I let the thought continue down that road than I was what he would say to me. So I took a chance. And I remember, you know that when you tell somebody something very sensitive and you just kind of like, your, your eyes kind of do like the Terminator and like look at every spot to see how they're going to respond, all the nonverbals, you kind of like, and I remember I'm like, and he just kind of looked at me back and just said, man, that's stuff. I'm going to pray for you right now. I understand. And it was just no judgment. And here's the crazy thing. As soon as I shared that, literally I felt the burden and the weight of it go away. And that's when I realized that, this, see, this is, the enemy is an accuser. Satan's name literally means accuser. And so what his strategy is to do is to accuse us, get us to just continue to say these things about ourselves, to condemn us before ourselves so that we continue to get into that cycle of sin, feel ashamed, want relief, continue to sin. And then when you confess it, it's like you take the teeth out of the lion. This is why Jesus said, and it's why I said in Colossians, that he made a public spectacle of Satan by disarming him. And you're like, wait a minute, Jesus, you were the one that was crucified. How could it be that you're saying that you made a public spectacle of Satan? He made a public spectacle of you. And he's like, no, no, see, because if you understand what happened spiritually is Jesus disarmed Satan by taking away the one weapon that he had against us, which was his accusation. So now when he appears before the father and wants to accuse and say, look, this person, here's their rap sheet. This is what they did on Sunday. This is what they did on Monday. This is what they did on Tuesday. Jesus comes up and says, excuse me, um, I object my blood, my blood. Father says case dismissed. Next. 
And so when we confess and not hide these things, that's how we're able to, to move forward. But if we continue to push those things down, then, then they, uh, they, they take on a life of their own. Now, that's on ourselves personally, but the reality is that the flip side is true in terms of how we deal with other people. Yeah, this is might where it get a little tight, so just a warning right now. Uh, in this passage in, in Luke chapter 7, Jesus is at uh, a Pharisee's house, and, and this woman comes and starts to uh, just weep in front of Jesus' presence and, 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 and wipe his feet with her hair and anoint his feet with oil, which was this act of worship. And, and, and this Pharisee named Simon turns and says to somebody, well, if he, he can't be a prophet because if he knew what that woman did, he wouldn't be letting her do that to him. And Jesus turns to him, gives him a parable and says, look, there was a guy that, that owed somebody $500,000 and somebody else, and he got forgiven. Somebody else owed somebody $1,000 and they got forgiven. Who do you think was more thankful? Simon said, well, I guess the guy that was forgiven the $500,000. He said, exactly. He who is forgiven little loves little. And the interesting thing about that is what he's saying is, actually, when it comes to us, it's he who is only aware of their little bit of need for forgiveness. Loves little. Because the reality is, if we got put our old rap sheets on here, we, we all in the same boat together. But when we don't realize our own need for forgiveness, then we will withhold forgiveness from other people. And here's the problem with unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is the poison that we drink hoping the other person dies. But it only kills ourselves. This is the warning in Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. So that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. The warning of the script in the scriptures is that a root of bitterness can come up if we do not release and give to God those things and those people that have hurt us. We cannot, that will stunt our growth. And we'll continue to see ourselves as victims, and we'll continue to just see ourselves not as who we could be and who we will be, but what someone did to us. And we can't grow into adulthood. So will we have a tale of woe or a tale of woe? What do I mean by that? Um, I saw a movie a, a while ago based uh, on Jane Eyre's Pride and Prejudice. It's a great flick. Yo, I, look, I ain't shamed. And I appreciate the love out there. It was a good movie. Pride and Prejudice, what? Some of y'all are prejudiced right now because I watched it. That's cool. But there's this scene in it. There's this amazing scene in which uh, the, the, the love interest in the movie, Rochester, he asks uh, Jane, from whence do you hail? What is your tale of woe? Jane is confused. Pardon? Rochester, all governesses have a tale of woe, like that, why you got into this situation. So what's yours? Jane responds, I was brought up by my aunt, Mrs. Reed of Gateshead, in a house even finer than this. I then attended Lowood School, where I received an education as good as I could hope for. I have no tale of woe, sir. Rochester, where are your parents? Dead, sir. Do you remember them? No. Any 
reason, why, why are you not with Mrs. Reed now? She cast me off, sir. Why? Because I was burdensome and she disliked me. Rochester, so you have no tale of woe? And here's the thing. Jane's perspective was like, look, you're asking me to, to unleash some type of pity party, some type of you know, negative storyline to my life. But see, I understand that I don't have a tale of W-O-E, woe. I have a tale of W-H-O-A because I understand what God has brought me from and where God is moving me to. See, when any movie that we have seen in our lives, it gets better when the, the, the protagonist has a hard time and has difficulty and struggles. But because we know that that's not the end of the story, we're like, whoa. And here's the thing, God is telling that story with us. And so we have no reason to look down and, and, and just kind of find ourselves in this place of seeing our lives as all bad, even our upbringing is all bad. It's like, I don't have a tale of woe. She had reconciled the good and the bad and then embraced it in such a way that said, this is part of who made me what I am today, standing here before you. I got no pity song for you. And when we can get there, we have accomplished that aspect of adulthood. But then there's one last piece. And that is the aspect of being a little person in a big person's world, right? So the reality is that we all start off little people in a big world. You ever go back to, like, to a place that you haven't been to since childhood? And you're like, yo, this place is a lot smaller than I remember it. Well, the place hasn't changed, but we have. We've gotten bigger, and so our perspective of the things that used to be so enormous have completely shifted. And in the same way, this is what it means for us to kind of grow into adulthood. Now, I got permission for this as well, but I had to kind of take down a, a trip down memory lane because as a parent, you get to see this thing kind of on display on a day-to-day -day basis, right? So this was uh, Ariana the first day of kindergarten, right? So we took this picture, and... This was her just super excited, and, and we were excited. But see, at that age, at that stage, right, we had to pick out her clothes. We had to, you know, take her to school, you know, check her homework, all that stuff like that. It was all on us. And so this process, she was a little person in a big world. Well, this was the first day of junior high. And see, I remember by this point, she picked out her clothes, she, you know, to match her backpack, which she picked out, and she's super fly and junior high and all that good stuff. And so at, by this point, she's starting to make some decisions involved in the process. And then first day of high school, no photo allowed. Nope, sorry, Dad. Can't take the picture. I don't, I ain't feeling it right now. So I got to respect the process <laughs> and let it go. See, that's a story in and of itself, the fact there is no picture. And then finally, this past week. First day of college, yeah, yeah. Now, now, now here's the thing with this, right? By the time college comes to, to play, I didn't even pick what school. She picked that. I didn't pick her classes, she picked that. It was, I, but it, it was a process. I remember I had this embarrassing moment when I had, and this is where I want y'all to have grace with your parents. So she was talking um, to like the person over registration or whatever, and they were assigning the time when she would meet her, um, her advisor. And I'm on the phone like, ask them if I should come too. <laughs> Do they want me to come? And, I, and afterwards, and she, and she asked the question, and they're like, no. And I'm like, I should have known that. But it's just, it's hard. So, so the two people are adjusting to this aspect of adulthood that is happening in front of us. And so we all have to adjust to it. And so this is what Klaus says. It is becoming an adult is a process of taking on more and more responsibility. 
power and responsibility as we become old enough to handle them. So it's this, it's this ever-growing process of more and more, and it's almost like the, the seasons change where you can almost blink and miss it, right? But there's this process of taking more and more responsibility. Now, I saw the opposite of this happen recent, uh, recently. A few years ago, um, there was a student named Rachel Canning. She was 18 years old, and uh, she sued her parents. Now, she sued her parents because her parents had decided, and specifically her father was the one that was interviewed in the story, to not fund her education her in college and no longer you know, pay for the expensive private school that she was in because she was not obeying the rules in the house. She, she was breaking curfew and she was being disrespectful and, and so you know, all these things were happening. And so as a result of this, she, 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 you know, she decided to move in with her best friend who the best friend's dad was a lawyer. So the lawyer takes on the case, the best friend's dad, to sue her parents to make them pay for her schooling and her, her college education without their involvement. And see, here's the reality, right? We look at that and I'm like, man, I would have loved to have a conversation with that best friend's dad. Like, are you, are you smoking something right now? This is crazy. But see, this is the deal, right? She wanted the power without the responsibility. She wanted the privileges without the accountability. That's not adulthood. That's just faking the funk. You can't have it both ways. If you, you need to, it's a full package. All the, the, the privileges that come with that, there's also responsibility. So this is what being in charge means. Being in charge equals authority, responsibility, and accountability. Mm. Accountability. That means being held responsible for what an accountant checks up to make sure that the spending is going where it's supposed to, that the accounts are lining up as they're supposed to. And as adults, that's another part that all of us have to play. Authority has a number of different facets of it, as, and you experience this as you get older, right? There's this aspect of power, of a real opportunity to make changes and influence things. Expertise, you start to get good at stuff, and people want your opinion, and you kind of get good at things. You, an office, which means a place to actually, uh, it's the seat of that power. Influence and then submission, where in terms of people get to and are responsible for listening to what you have to say and doing what you have to say. And so we are supposed to become adults equal with other adults. Then we can all be siblings, brothers and sisters, under the fatherhood of God. This is the process. See, our, our parents and, and growing up are like our training wheels, getting us to the place where we can actually ride the bike on our own as we move toward God the Father. But if that process gets stymied and gets stuck because we don't want to take on aspects of it, we want to be like Peter Pan and never grow up, then it actually mars the aspect of what we're supposed to be. Look, look at this, and, and we see this play, play itself out in Scripture. In John, it says, nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, meaning Jesus, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so they would not be put out of the synagogue. It's like, look, the issue with many of the Pharisees was not that they didn't believe in Jesus. It's that they did, but they feared what would happen because they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. This was an adulthood issue. They had not transferred what, who they were looking at as their authority appropriately. And people's opinions matter too much. 
And as a result of that, it matters so much that they decided to reject the Messiah. Now, look at this in contrast to what the scriptures tell us about Jesus in Mark 12, 14. And they came and said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anybody's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Now, even though this was flattery on their way to trying to trick them, the point of it is that they realized and said, look, because you don't care about what other people think, you can stay consistent about what God has you to do. So the flip side is also true. If you care too much about what people think, then you will not stay consistent with what God has called you to do. You cannot be an adult because you're still looking at somebody else as your father instead of God. Adults don't need permission from other people to think, feel, or act as adults are accountable for the consequences of the things that they feel and do. So it's both sides. It's like they don't have to ask for permission, but they also are willing to take the consequences and responsibilities. I don't want to be here under curfew. I don't want to listen to your rules. Okay, then I understand that means I am financially responsible for myself now as I leave this house. And that's, that's what being an adult is. Authority is the cultural mandate of scripture. When we see the cultural mandate, when, when God told Adam and Eve in the garden, be fruitful and multiply, this is what he had in mind. The, to do the earth, this aspect of it be my image bearer and being my image bearer means ex- expressing and exercising the freedom and the liberty that I have given you. But authority not submitted, submitted under God is idolatry. And Beware of the person who wants to embrace the authority without submission to God. And especially in relationships, this comes up. See, some of us want to be grown and just kind of just kind of do things our way and just be in relationships. But the person that we're into does not have this aspect of under God. Then what that means is they have become their own God. They become their own idol. They're subject to themselves. And that is a dangerous thing to come underneath of. For me, it's, it's like, man, it's tough for me to do this under, like, God, and I know he good, let alone under some person that, you know, they, I don't even know what they're thinking the next day to the next. We will suffer from spiritual childhood until we replace parents and others with God as our authority. That's just the process of growing up. So how long that process takes is up to us. Jesus said, you leave the commandment of God and hold on to the tradition of men. This was the issue. Who's the authority? This is just kind of wrapping all this up. This process of starting as little people and becoming equal with big people begins with bonding, having boundaries, and resolving the good and bad, but ultimately has to do with coming out from under the one-down relationship that a child has to parents and others and coming into an equal standing as an adult on his or her own. That's what this is all about. And when, they, and when we get to that place where we understand what this journey is about. Now, remember, it takes time. This doesn't happen overnight. But when we understand that that is the process, then we can move forward. So here are four quick steps that I think can help get us there. First, we want to need to reevaluate our beliefs and make your decisions your own. Sometimes we've inherited beliefs and ideas that just came from people of authority, parents and whoever else, but were never examined for our own. And so it's a time to do that. Secondly, to give yourself permission to be equal with your parents and see parents and authority figures realistically. 
Sometimes we uh, have this pity party and we come down on people because we, our heroes f- fell in our eyes, but the reality was they were never perfect people to, in the first place. Yeah. We held them to a standard that they never even said, demanded that we do. And even if they did, they were fallen people. And so as a result of that, we need to feel free to disagree with authority figures. Three, recognize and pursue your talents, which also means to discipline yourself. There are things that God has put you on this earth to do. And in order to live that out and to do those things, that means we have to be responsible for ourselves. We have to hold ourselves responsible and be accountable. And lastly, submit to others out of a place of freedom. See, the reality is that all of us are subject to somebody. We all got a boss. Sorry, Damian Dash, but the reality is everybody got a boss. And the beauty of being an adult is that I don't feel like I have to fight against authority, right? I can embrace the aspect that I can play my role. I can play my position. So when I'm on a plane, I don't got to be like, you can't tell me what to do, flight attendant. (laughs) I'm grown. It's like, uh, we're going to have to ask you to leave the plane. We all are subject to authority. But it doesn't have to be a yoke of oppression. It could be an aspect of freedom if we let it take place from an aspect of adulthood. This is the process. These are the changes that will cause us to heal and how if we embrace this process, the gospel can make us whole. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just uh, thank you for the reality that you untangle so much of the confusion of what it means to grow, to be conformed into your image. Lord, we pray that regardless of if we had great models and examples and authority, or if we had very hard and difficult and challenging ones, we pray that you would help us to take responsibility for our lives today that regardless of what happened to us in the past, that we can embrace the bad and the good, knowing that it has made us who we are and that we don't have a tale of woe. We have a tale of victory. We have a tale of success. We have a tale that says that you are with us always, even until the end of the age. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.